Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. So how do you respond when things don't go your way? Do you like spaz out, have a panic attack, just completely melt down? There's no judgment here. I mean, we've all been there. Or maybe for you, you go into fight mode, right? You go into this fight mode and you try to regain as much control in the situation as you possibly can have. Maybe for some of you, you try to act chill and relaxed and just it is what it is and you go with the flow, but secretly on the inside, you're not all that calm. On the inside, you feel that anxiety creeping up higher and higher and higher. And, and as you're trying to be like, oh, it's going to be okay. On the inside, you're going, I don't know if it's going to be okay. Or maybe for some of you, you just completely shut down. You just run away. You just avoid the situation as much as possible. How do you respond when things don't go your way, when things don't go the way you plan? But here's a better question. How do you respond when God doesn't answer the way you wanted him to? How do you respond when God answers and you're like, that's not at all what I was hoping and wishing and praying you would say. In his new book, Mark Batterson, his new book is called Win the Day. And he unpacks this story of a famous psychologist that I think you and I can really relate to a situation that he had. Check this out. He says this, in 1911, the Swiss psychologist Edwards Claparen had a female patient that was 47 years old. He was working with her because she had no short-term memory. And at the beginning of every appointment, they would shake hands. But one day, Edward decided that he wanted to do an experiment. And so he hid a small needle attached to his hand. And right as he reached his hand out to shake her, the pin poked her in the hand and she jacked her hand back away from him as fast as possible. What was interesting is a few minutes later, she couldn't remember where the pain prick came from. She couldn't remember why her hand was still hurting. She couldn't remember what happened because she had no short-term memory. But what was interesting is from that day forward, she would never shake his hand. As they began the appointment, she would never reach her hand out again. For whatever reason, even though she couldn't put her hands on it, even though she couldn't put her mind around it, even though she didn't know exactly what happened, that day she lost trust in Edward. And their process was not the same from that point forward. Even though they can't pinpoint the exact moment it happened, something was broken in that relationship. And as I read that story, it just really resonated with me. He said these words, the residue of the pain kept her from reaching out. And I wonder for some of you, if that's what you feel like with God, 
You've been struggling because you reached out and what it felt like the answer was was something that was painful. It wasn't what you wanted. It was something that you you desperately needed God to change something. And for whatever reason, he said no. Or he said, not yet. And that pain moment has left this residue that keeps you from reaching out again. I wonder how many of you are in that boat where you, you say you love God, you, you really do, but when it comes to those big moments, there's some doubt that's there. There's some distrust that's lingering. There's this question in the back of your mind, well, God, are you really going to help me? Or am I gonna still feel this pain all over again? Personally, for me, I remember working in banking for five years. And, and at one point I was working at Wells Fargo and I was running a remote drive up in a downtown location. And I, I remember from my lunch breaks, I would go and I would work in the parking garage and just sit in my car. I'd eat, eat there and, and work on stuff for the, the church that we were serving at the time. And I just would do it in the silence, I needed a place to just escape from everybody, to escape from everything. Because if, if I'm just being real with you, I was really frustrated. I was frustrated with my life. I was frustrated with my job. I was really frustrated with God. I was frustrated with him for a lot of different reasons because I wanted so desperately to be in ministry. And we were serving in this church and we were running this ministry and God was doing great things, but it was like this full-time job that we didn't get paid for. So I had a full-time job and then another full-time job. One I got paid for and I hated and it was driving me crazy and it was, it was sucking my soul. And then there was another one that was fulfilling me, but I didn't get to do that the way that I wanted to because I had this other job. And I remember sitting in my car so angry and so frustrated with God. And at one point, uh, there was something I needed to do and I couldn't do it and I had to tell him no and it was a great opportunity. And I remember sitting in my car yelling at God, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this job that's demanding things of me that's impossible to do in the location that I am. And it's a job that I don't want to be doing. You know what I want to be doing. I remember yelling at God, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What have I done wrong? What am I not doing for you to open the door and the opportunity? God, why did you give me this passion if you're not going to let me live it out? God, why are you, why did you give me these gifts and these abilities to do these things, but I can't actually do them because you won't open the door. And I just let God hold it for a minute. I was so frustrated and overwhelmed. Can you relate? Have you ever been there? Have you been in that moment where, where you're saying, God, I, I want to trust you, but I need you to show up and do this. God, I need you to, to open this door and I need you to change this situation. I need you to, to work this out. I need you to answer this prayer. If you would answer that prayer, then everything that I'm planning will go the way it's supposed to. God, would you just do it my way? Have you ever been there? I remember for me, it was one of those moments in my life that God spoke 
to my spirit, I mean, as clear as day. It wasn't audible, like the parking garage wasn't shaking, but it might as well have been, because I mean, it was clear as a bell straight into my heart. And God said, Danny, are you concerned about knowing me at all? Or are you just concerned with knowing what you can get from me? Do you just want to know what I can do for you? Or do you want to actually get to know me? And I remember as those words penetrated my spirit, I thought, I checkmate. You win. My bad. <laughs> You're totally right, God. Wow, I, I, I missed it. Because my frustration with God started to deteriorate our relationship. I wasn't spending time with him. I wasn't talking with him. I was just venting at him. And I wasn't doing what I needed to actually get to know him, to, to learn more about him, to allow him to speak back. All I was doing was trying to do things my way. And he just wasn't cooperating. It's like, God, would you do it my way? And what was really amazing about that situation is, is from that moment, this hunger was birthed in me to know more, to learn more, to understand, to grow in wisdom, to build my relationship with him. And in a two year period of time working in that remote drive up, I read over 50 books, books about God, books about ministry, books about leadership, books about psychology, about people's skills, about communicating with different kinds of people. I read oh, well over 50 books in that two-year period of time. And look at this truth. What felt like a season of useless waiting became the foundation on which my future ministry was built. What felt like useless waiting what I kept viewing as this wasted opportunity, these wasted years, God actually redeemed them and allowed that time that I got to know him, that time that I got to grow in wisdom, that time that, that two, three, four years down the road when I had an opportunity, I could reflect back to those years and go, oh yeah, God, I remember when I read that book and I journaled about it and I remember what you showed me in that moment and I was able to use that wisdom to make the right call, to make the right decision, to say things the right way. And God just started opening door after door after door. And it's like what I thought was useless and wasted, God used as a foundation for my future. Look at this, back, back to the question. How do you respond when God doesn't do things your way? How do you respond? What do you do? How do you respond when God says, I think I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I love the, the words of Proverbs 29, 18. It's a famous scripture that we've seen a lot in church, but I love the message translation. It says it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. 
If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. I know I stumbled all over myself when I couldn't see what God was doing. But when they attend to what he reveals, when they attend to what he says, when they focus in on what he's trying to do, what he is revealing, what he's speaking, they are blessed. They are blessed. There's a story in the Gospels that we're going to look at as, as the final part of our Didn't See That Coming series. And the story is found in Mark 2, if you want to turn there in your Bible. And Jesus, again, is surrounded by tons of people. And it's another one of these memorable moments where he's preaching and, and people are everywhere. And we see something really unique happen where Jesus decides to do something that no one saw coming. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. We're going to look at that in just a second, but... It's just amazing how he's just communicating this matter of fact. Well, they just they just dug a hole in the roof. Really? That's normal. Then they lowered the man on his mat right, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Let's look at that real quick before we move on in the story. So this group of phenomenal friends, they're carrying their paralyzed friend on this mat, on this sheet, and they walk up to the house and the house is filled to capacity. They're hanging out the windows, they're outside the door, they're surrounding, their ears are up against the, the mortar of the house, just trying to hear what Jesus is saying. Everyone is trying to be close and they're like, we got to get them in there. So one of them has a brilliant idea. There's always that one guy, right? This one guy goes, well, we'll just go through the roof. Nobody else is thinking this. And they're like, well, shoot, it's a dumb idea, but let's give it a shot. What other choice do we have? So they climb up. They scale onto the roof of the house. I can see them dragging this mat with the body in it up on top of the roof and they get them up there and they start to tear off the tiles. And they start to dig through the grass. They dig through the mud, through the mortar. And all as they get towards the bottom of the roof lining, they start dropping dirt and grass and sand onto people below them. And the people in the house are looking up like, what is going on as they see this light start to break through in this whole form in the ceiling as they're trying to listen to Jesus. And you know everyone starts to look up, just like in a classroom if anyone does anything crazy. So everything stops. They're all looking up. And I, I just have to be real with you. If I'm on the inside, I'm pretty ticked off, right? Because first of all, I got dust allergies. You dropping dust and dirt and grass all on my face, this is just beyond rude. What are you doing? And second of all, if I'm in the house, I waited in line. If I'm in the house, I was here early. I did my part. There is nothing in this world that frustrates me more than line cutters. Like, 
I didn't like it when I was six and I don't like it when I'm 34. Don't cut me in line. Like I, I am here for a reason. I can't do it now because I'm a pastor and I try to be super nice. But back in the day, I'd be, I'd be like, hey, whoa, 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 back it up. You can get behind me and cut everybody else, but you ain't about to cut me, line cutters. If you're a line cutter, I'll fight you. I'll fight, not really, but I will fight you. But you have to imagine they're frustrated. They're like, we got here. We have our own needs. We've got our own deal. We've waited to be with Jesus. We made it into the house. We're finally a few feet away from him. And you start ripping the roof off of somebody's house to get in? This is crazy. But Jesus, Jesus is impressed. And the men lower him down and they put him in front and the paralyzed man is, is looking up at Jesus and Jesus is probably smiling ear to ear because he knows and he hears the thoughts of everyone around. And Jesus looks at him and everyone knows what's gonna happen. Everyone knows that Jesus is a healer. The guys are stoked. They just did this crazy plan and it worked and he's right in front of Jesus. Here it comes and Jesus looks at him and he goes, my child, your sins, are forgiven. What? What are you talking about? You can imagine the friends who brought him had to be going, wait, 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 what? We brought him all this way on a mat because in case you didn't notice, he can't walk. His legs they don't work. He's paralyzed. Paralyzed, Jesus. Have you heard of that? Paralyzed. What, what are you talking about? They had to be sitting there going, why did we just do all, why did we just rip this roof apart to put our paralyzed friend in front of you for you to say you forgive his sins? Can you even do that? You're missing the point, Jesus. He's paralyzed and you're talking about forgiving his sins. These guys were like, what are you, what is happening in this moment? But there was another group in the room that were super ticked off and we saw it in the verses. It was the religious leaders. They were super offended. Why? Because first they think Jesus is blaspheming because only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus is basically assuming that he has the same authority as God. And he's just out here just forgiving people of their sins. And they're like, that is beyond blasphemous. What are you talking about? I mean, let's just be real. We, we kind of judge the religious leaders, but like in 2021, if somebody was walking around going, I mean, I got the same authority and power as God, we'd be like, why don't you pump the brakes a little bit? Like, I, I know what you're trying to say, but wow. Okay, that's a bold statement. So here Jesus is before everything else in his life has happened, before they understand who he is and he's going, hey, I forgive you of your sins. The second part of that is that Jesus forgiving this man's sins outside of the temple, outside of the religious structure, outside of the priest, outside of the sacrifices that they did at that time, it was proving that Jesus had come to start a new covenant, to start a whole new means of forgiveness. And they were like, whoa, you're blowing up thousands of years of tradition by saying this statement. 
Everyone was floored. No one saw Jesus saying this. They were totally confused. Let's continue in verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk? No answer? Cool. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Not only have we not seen anything like this before, but oh my goodness, I did not see that coming. Listen, there are dozens of things that they didn't see coming in this miracle, but I really want you to focus in and hone in on two of them. And the first one is this, Jesus is more focused on your internal healing than he is on trying to solve your external problems. Jesus is hyper-focused on what's really going on within you. Jesus wants to look into your soul, look into your heart, look into your mind, see what's really going on and speak to and heal those areas, to work on those areas, rather than just trying to solve all of the external problems that we see, that we feel are greater than anything else because he understands what's happening within us, right? Have you ever had that moment where you're praying for a situation with God and say, God, I need you to answer this prayer. I need, you, I need a new job. I need this opportunity. I need you to open this door. I need you to change this situation. And his response back to you is, well, let's talk about your insecurities. You're like, mm, no. No, I, I don't think you heard me. I need you to help me with this situation, with this problem that I'm having. But God is looking deeper. And Jesus asked them, just like he's asking us right now, what's harder? What's more important? What's of more value? What is going to last longer? Me solving this external problem or me healing what's really going on deep within this man. Look at this truth. Jesus wanted to heal the root of the problem, not just remedy the symptoms. Jesus wanted to get to the root of what was going on. So what does Jesus want to heal in you? What is it on the inside that maybe you're not recognizing that if, if you had the same opportunity like this paralyzed man did as he's being lowered down and he's looking up into the face of his savior, looking into the face of the Messiah. And you're, if you were having that moment, what would Jesus cut through and look into the heart of your life and say, hey, there's actually some things in there that we need to deal with that are far greater than anything that's happening externally. Maybe for some of you, Jesus would say, hey, there's, there's some unforgiveness that you haven't dealt with. 
Maybe it's something that someone did to you. There's there's uh, this pain that was caused to you, this breaking of your trust. There's this, this heartbreak that's there. There's this unforgiveness that's just sneaking its way into your life. And maybe you know the people that you haven't, for, you haven't forgiven, that you're holding this unforgiveness, but, but maybe for some of you, you don't even recognize what's holding you back. Maybe for some of you, the unforgiveness is the inability to forgive yourself. You're allowing your past failures, your past mistakes, your past identity, your past personality to be this anchor in the past that holds you back from your future. And God's going, hey, don't you know I forgave you for that? Why are you still holding on to it? Why are you still allowing the enemy to use shame and guilt to hold you back from fully living the way that I've called you to live? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe for some of you, it's a deep-seated pain. Maybe there's a deep-seated wound that's there. there there's something interesting about, about our bodies. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, or hopefully you haven't experienced this because it would be terrible. But imagine if you had a cut on your leg and that cut got infected. And at first you may not recognize what's going on, but then eventually that area would start to get inflamed and and the body is saying, hey, something is going wrong here. And maybe you didn't notice it. And so then the body starts flaring up in other ways. You start getting a fever. You start getting phantom pains in other places. Your body's going, red alert, red alert, red alert. There's something bad happening in our body. And I wonder for you if there's a deep pain that you're not dealing with and it's flaring up in some other ways. It's flaring up in the way that you treat people. It's flaring up in the way that you trust people. It's flaring up in the way that you handle stress. It's flaring up in all of these different areas. Is there something deep within you that God would be able to penetrate and look in and go, hey, there's an area of pain, a wound that needs to be healed, a conversation that needs to happen a forgiveness that needs to be given, right? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's ungrieved losses or disappointments. For those of you who know me, uh, just a, a few months ago, I lost my dad unexpectedly to a heart attack. And as I was sitting there with my, my grief counselor, she was asking me to kind of unpack the last three, four years of our lives and just kind of talk about seasons of change and, and just all that. And as I started writing it down and sharing with her, I'm like, oh man, we, we've had a lot of transitions, a lot of changes, a lot of different things. And, and she kind of pulled back and she said, Danny, I don't, I don't think you realize how many losses you've experienced over the last three or four years. And knowing your personality and knowing you and the way that you describe yourself, I'm willing to bet a lot of those are ungrieved. Because I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you're wired like me and, and some of you, you're better than I am, but I just kind of have this deal where I have this really big button in my life that I just hit and it's called, it is what it is. And when life throws a curveball at us, when things go wrong, instead of panicking, I just hit that button. It is what it is. I gotta do what I have to do to push forward. And what I didn't realize is that these losses were starting to stack up on me emotionally. They're starting to stack up and they're starting to show themselves in other ways. And I didn't know what was going on. I just felt like I was stressed. But the reality was there were ungrieved losses 
that I wasn't dealing with, that I wasn't handling. And there's honestly, transparently, there's still some that I'm dealing with now as I'm dealing with grief on, on multiple levels. And so for some of you, maybe that's what it's been, that you've just run past dealing with what's happened because you're like, what do you want me to do? You want me to sit in the corner and cry for a day? Would that make it better? But it's more than that. It's us actually dealing with the emotions of things that we've walked through in, in these different seasons of our lives. Jesus would see us. He would look through it and go, hey, there's some things that you and I need to work on that are far greater than just your external problems. Maybe for some of you, quickly, maybe it's a hidden or, or an obvious sin. And you know that it's a sin, even though you keep making excuses for why you can do it and why you should be able to, and no one can tell you what to do, and I'm the boss of my life, and no one's going to tell me what to do. Cool. That's fine. You do you, but understand, you know deep within you, there are certain things that you're doing, certain habits, certain behaviors, certain mindsets, certain things that you know are opposed to the will of God. And God would look at you and go, hey, Let's deal with those things. Let's get that knocked out. Let me heal that. Give that to me and let me do what I need to do with it in order for you to step into what you need to step into. The biggest thing that we struggle with in all of us, even the most confident of us all, is that there's deep within us different identity issues, different needs for validation, and Jesus would see those areas of our life and say, hey, let's deal with those first. Those are, those are of greater priority to me than just solving your job, just solving that phone call that you need to make, just solving that financial bill. There's certain things that are far greater that I want to work on. Look at this second point. Jesus is more concerned with you knowing who you are than you knowing what you can do. You got to understand, one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses is identity confusion, identity questions, identity doubts. It's why we sing this song all the time here at church, Sons and Daughters. It's one of my favorite worship songs of all time, because mostly because of the bridge. I love the words in the bridge. It says, when the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me I belong to you. When I can't see past the dark of night, remind me that you are by my side. Look at this truth. We need to understand that the source of our success or our failure is found in what we believe about our identity. The source of our success, the source of our failure is found in what we believe about ourselves. Who is determining your identity? Who's determining it? Is it God? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it your status? Is it your position? Is it your finances? Who is determining? What is determining your identity? When you have that time, when you're connected with that thing or that person, then you feel like, okay, I can just be myself. What, who's determining that? Who is the one that gets to speak into that? The most you got to understand in Mark's gospel as he's unpacking this story about the man who was paralyzed 
His external problems were major. Obviously being paralyzed was a big deal, but in this culture, you were rendered useless if you couldn't work, you couldn't walk, you couldn't do anything. You were thrown to the side. You had to depend on everyone else's charity. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like to have to depend on other people, right? Like we want to be able to do it on our own. But in this society, because he was unable to contribute, he was pushed to the side. But even knowing that, even knowing the gravity of all of this, Jesus made it clear, solidifying your identity in God was far greater than what the man could accomplish or participate in. His identity, his relationship with God was far greater than him having access to use his legs to contribute to society. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's really challenging. That's really challenging because look at this truth. Many times we believe our accomplishments define our identity. Can I just pull back the curtain? Can I just be, just be real? I struggle because many times I believe my accomplishments determine or solidify my identity. Again, maybe you're better than me and that I am proud of you. That is amazing. But there are so many seasons of my life that I feel like if I'm not accomplishing, if I'm not building, if I'm not having some measure of success, then I can't be confident in my identity and Jesus will go, whoa, Wait a minute. And he's had to do that to me many times. Danny, do you not understand that your identity is already solidified and established in your heavenly father? There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can accomplish. There's no level of success that is going to change your identity in God. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. Far more important than what you can do is knowing who you've been created to be, the son and the daughter of God. That's who we were created to be. Jesus was making this abundantly clear. I can heal his legs. I can take care of that. I can help him get back to a good standing in this society. But what's more important than all of that is him to be in right standing with his father in heaven. And I wonder how many of us need to grab a hold of that today. You have got to understand that Jesus wants to deal with something far greater than just solving your external problems. He wants to deal with your heart. Here's our challenge today. What are you asking God to change that's distracting you from what he wants to heal? What are you at? What situation, what circumstance, what Job, what, what, are you, what are you praying about where you're going, God, I need you to change this. But that external situation is distracting you from what's really going on on the inside. And today, your challenge, what the Lord is challenging me and what he's challenging you to do is to just for a moment, stop thinking about all of the external problems in your life and go, hey, God, 
I need you to, to penetrate and evaluate what's going on in here and help me see what needs healing. The famous psalmist David in the Bible said, search me, oh God, and know my heart, know my motives, know my intentions, draw those things out and make them clear to me so that you can bring healing. We bring our circumstances, our issues, our problems, and Jesus goes, listen, listen, I hear you, but there's something more important that I want to work on. And listen, as I've watched God narrate and write the story of my family, I have watched time and time again how he will move the circumstances and change them in ways that I never saw coming, but it always starts. It was always preceded by me humbling myself and going, God, I'm missing the point. Just like I did while I was yelling at God in the parking garage of the Wells Fargo in Mobile, Alabama. God goes, whoa, I get your frustration, but you're missing what really is more important than your job. You have lost your love for me. Dig into me before you start worrying about what you can do for me. Love me again. And maybe for some of you, that's what God is reminding you of today. Dig in deeper. He is a father who cares more about who I am becoming more than what I can accomplish. He wants you to understand who you are. And maybe for you, you didn't see that coming. Because I know for me in that season of my life, I certainly didn't. As we wrap up this series, as we close out this, this season, I wanna pray the words of the serenity prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr that was penned in 1932 as we pray. I wanna read these words over you because they're so powerful and it's something that I'm gonna write down and keep in a, a special space where I can see it all the time as I came across this. It's so good, but I hope that you will pray this prayer over your life and allow God to show and reveal to you what really needs to be done. Come on, let's pray. God, I love these words of the serenity prayer. It says this, God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Grant me the courage to change the things I can. And grant me the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant us right now the serenity to accept the things that we can't change, to, to not be so hyper-focused on the external that we miss out on what you want to do on the internal. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to change the things that we could change, to change our focus, to change our mentality, to let go, to surrender, to change what it is that we can actually change. And God, that you would give us wisdom to know when you're asking us to step out and, and the difference in those moments when you're asking us to stay still and to hear your voice. God, so many times we get confused, we get so busy just trying to accomplish and just trying to do and, and just trying to make things work. And, and there are moments in our life where you're calling us to stop 
to rest in you and allow you to speak and to heal those areas of our life that we have not given over to you. God, give us the clarity of mind to see that. God, that you would bring healing that only you can bring and that you would help us to see things the way that you see them. God, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that there are so many didn't see that coming moments in our lives and that the future ahead of us is something that we didn't see coming either. But because you're orchestrating it, because you're the author, because you're narrating the story, we can trust and believe that it is good. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.